Welcome to Intelligogy with Tracy Browder, where together we will disrupt educational normalcy. Today is Monday Matters on Intelligogy, the podcast, and I have with us Marlena Gross-Taylor. Good morning, Marlena. How are you? Good morning, Tracy. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. Friends, if this is your first time listening, we need you to hop back to last week's episode for Equity is Still a Thing. So let's catch our listeners up. Um, Marlena shared on her Gladiators chat um, that the pandemic, COVID-19, exposed a few hard truths. And that's what we're going to be focusing on for a few Mondays in the Monday Matters segment. Number one she shared was equity is still a thing. And that was a great conversation last week. So we encourage you to go back and listen to it. Today's topic, number two, schools are still considered daycares by parents and community. That's gonna be an interesting topic. Number three, being teachers is not as easy as parents thought. Number four, educators deserve more pay and more respect. Number five, testing is not the answer. So. Let's park on number two. Schools are still considered daycares by parents and community. And Marlena, I'm going to turn this all over to you. Talk to us about what you think about that statement. Sure, Tracy. Um, thank you so much for, again, having me on your podcast. And and I'm so honored that this particular tweet during this chat for Edge Gladiators really um, struck a chord with you. Um, in May, we are focusing on uh, remote learning during the pandemic, and this chat was the first chat in May, so May 2nd. And as we were talking about you know, what was working well and keeping it simple and some of the conversations that were happening in the chat, I, I just felt that we were all kind of skirting around these hard truths, and that was the reason behind this particular tweet. And at the beginning of May, and I think it's even more so now, currently, you know, at the end of, of May, beginning of the summer, <laughs> is that we know that economy, our economy has suffered greatly from the pandemic. And mm-hmm. we know that um, people need to get back to work and we understand that. And it's hard to say we need to jumpstart our community or reopen our states if school isn't in session. And so mm-hmm. that was that has been on my mind so much. And this was at the beginning of May when I when I tweeted this, and even more so as I help support uh, different states and different school districts navigate this very question. It's hard to get your economy going again if you have nowhere to place your children. And I think it's really interesting how, uh, and I am very much um, public education supporter, absolutely, um, and. It's very interesting how we hear so many things was wrong with public education and all these things before the pandemic. And now people are realizing like, hey, I shouldn't have been complaining too much. But <laughs> I didn't have to worry about where my kids were. You know, they were learning. Mm-hmm. It may not have been how I wanted to, how I wanted them to in some cases. Um, but most people in general had great experiences with education uh, and particularly with public education. But I think they realize now that I can't go back to work if I if it's not safe for my kids to go back to school, or it's putting parents in an uncomfortable predicament of deciding, is it safe enough for my kids to go back to school? And if it is, and there's no vaccine, and there's no drug treatment uh, for COVID-19, will my kids survive? It almost feels like an episode out of The Hunger Games a little bit with the question that our parents are having to, to face, you know? 
Um, and so that was the premise behind that particular hard truth is that our schools, public, charter, private, whatever, the concept of school in the United States is so ingrained. And it is, um, I, I feel that it is being valued more now than ever because kids, it's understood, it's understood if you're a kid, you go to school. Yes, we have homeschool parents, um, but that is not the majority by any means. You know, um, So how do we restart our schools without a vaccine, without drug therapy for our kids? Because we do know that it definitely affects our kids, um, particularly our teenagers uh, and, our, and our young adults in college. This COVID-19 affects them um, more so than our littles, but it does affect the littles as well. So that's the question, and that's the hard truth that we're coming to. And it's a very difficult topic and conversation to approach. I, I don't think there's an optimal answer to this situation. Um, the the risk is still there. The likelihood is still there. Um, but you you said several key things. You know, in order to jumpstart the the economy again, which has taken a huge hit, people have to go back to work. And in order for people have to to go back to work. Their children have to be somewhere, and that somewhere for the majority of the population is public education. And, you know, you said something else that was really important. There, there has systemically and historically been a stigma with several people associated to public education. And at the very core of education, public education has has sent lawyers to law school, has sent doctors to medical school, has sent astronauts into space. That's our public education system that is so beautiful, powerful, and, and at its core, it's the very heart of teaching and learning. And I feel like the community is realizing that now, but there's this fear attached to that. So Marlena, in the conversations that you are fortunate to have with decision makers, what factors are they taking into consideration? How do we possibly navigate taking this risk of going back to school? And there's been no medical breakthrough. Well, there've been some medical breakthroughs, but they're not finalized yet. So, mm -hmm. so how do we take this step? So what I have been advising and working with uh, the different groups that I'm involved with is having contingency plans. I think that uh, processes are incredibly important in any organization. And the process of how we go back to school during this time is incredibly important. And the process hasn't been created yet either. So we need to, and we being all schools, whether you're public, private, charter, does not matter. We need to create processes um, that will incorporate the needs of our kids that fall into that vulnerable category, that if they were to go back to school without that medical breakthrough, they would, they would most likely be sick and it would be very mm -hmm. hard for them. Um, to parents not feeling comfortable of sending their kids back. Um, so you have to have those, those contingency plans in place. And what that does what that means, uh, Tracy, is that it will school will not look the same. We will not have the buses coming rolling through at seven thirty or eight o'clock in the morning. You know, picking up kids to that extent because your buses cannot be um, to capacity with the social distancing that's mm -hmm. required now. Um, I believe I believe if I'm if I'm recalling correctly, about ten to twelve kids can be on an average size school bus. So then, does that make sense economically to run a school bus when a lot of kids d depend on? Uh, buses to get to school, 
does that make sense to run that? So Mm -hmm. that's a question with transportation. When you have your kids in the same space, again, with our current guidelines, uh, with the six feet apart for social distancing, you can't have more than 10 to 15 kids together uh, in, in one space. And even then it needs to be minimized, probably preferably outside where you have the open air instead of an enclosed space. So you can't have kids in school all day like you normally did with 25 to 30 to a class. So for all of our proponents, and I know I am one of smaller class sizes, well, our wish has been granted because we can't have large class sizes while we're, while we're figuring out how to go back. And then on top of that, if you are to go back, how do you do so to minimize the risk to all kids? Because it's really tough to be in school all day and to, in a school building. So is that half a day where you have half of your, half of your kids come in um, or a third of your kids, depending on how large your school is, where the in-person, in-person learning is once a day or maybe twice, I'm sorry, once a week or maybe twice a week. And then how does that impact our families? Because they would need to still provide some type of daycare or be uh, responsible for their children during those off days that they're not in-person learning. And so there are lots of moving parts. I know a lot of parents are, are not happy because of these things, uh, because they can't send their kids like normal. And I totally understand that. But we have to also ensure that our kids are safe and that the adults that teach them are safe. So part of this this whole restart and getting schools back together is we have to provide accommodations for the adults that would fall in that vulnerable category. And we can't Mm -hmm. discriminate when we know that if you're 65 or older, that's been well established with the research we have so far on COVID by CDC. We already know just being 65 and older puts you in in a high risk category. We can't discriminate against our our educators and our support staff that are over that and say, oh, I'm sorry, you can't, you know, we have to let you go. You can't discriminate against that either. And same for our teachers. So how do we incorporate uh, their needs and allow that to happen? So the best way to make this work, and there's only a couple of ways to actually do it, is to have some sort of blended in-person and virtual learning and kids coming to school, coming to school on a limited basis. Um, for in-person to get that deeper instruction. So that means we have to really shore up our, our skill set as educators in the virtual setting. And how do we do e-learning really, really well? You know, I've been thinking about, uh, I've been thinking about it prior to our conversation, but especially with the things you were saying, it really resonates. So it's something worthy to bring up, you know, Outside versus an enclosed environment is the optimal situation if we have to return to school. Mm -hmm. But then there's weather factors, rain, you know, Mm -hmm. all of those things. Um, But then also there's let's take 10 to 15 students in a classroom. I feel like part of the discussion and conversation is let's keep Mrs. Browder's kids in one space so that if one of those students or Mrs. Browder unfortunately contracts the virus, we can automatically say it's been contained to Mrs. Browder's classroom. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. in kindergarten classrooms, most kindergarten classrooms have a restroom in the room, but so it's, it's an impossibility to contain 
all students in one single enclosed classroom all day long, just because of, you know, something as basic as restroom needs. I, I envision if we return, even if it's a blended situation, where our amazing cafeteria support staff are delivering lunches to the classroom, just really trying to minimize the travel through the building. So there's so many considerations that that have to be evaluated, you know, and what happens to our enrichment classes, our music teachers, Mm -hmm. our PE teacher, our art teacher, how are we going to incorporate that into the classrooms? And, you know, one thought I had was maybe they'll travel to different classrooms, but that's not really the safest idea either. Um, So there's just so many decisions that have to be made that I think the community as a whole doesn't think about all of the intricate pieces that one domino affects the other domino affects the other domino all the way down to Marlena, even like you said, the bus is arriving. Well, there's dismissal too. How do we, mm-hmm. how do we stagger and safely dismiss? Um, it's so many things to be considered. It's, it's, it's really mind blowing. And I think as teachers in the classroom, we really need to support and celebrate our administrators who have so much weight on their shoulders to be a part of this decision-making process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, Tracy, a couple of things um, that you mentioned that sparked um, some further thought that I've had. Um, So Sweden, at the start of the COVID-19, they did not shut down completely their, uh, their country. They, uh, they had social distancing and they did encourage, you know, for a limited group to work from home. And of course, if you're in that high risk factor, but for the school side of it, which most people I don't think realize, they, um, we hear like, oh, well, they kept school going. Yes and no. They kept elementary mm-hmm. going. Middle, high, and their universities, those went automatically to remote learning because they knew from the early research that if COVID-19 were to impact younger people, it would be your teenagers on up to young adults. So they did Mm -hmm. the elementaries going and they provided social distancing. That means spreading out the desk. I mean, just think about our classrooms. I mean, many of our schools were built like in the seventies and eighties, you know, across our country, our public school building. So they may not be able to accommodate the six foot, right? But in Sweden they did and they separated the, the desk and the rooms and and took all of those precautions. And so elementary was able to still continue, um, but they did have virtual for those kids that could not, if they were in that high-risk category or if they were to become ill, but they did have it going. So one of the things that I think is worth considering um, for those districts that are, or those states that feel the need that they have to go back to school right away. And I am, honestly, I am not comfortable with that personally without a vaccine mm-hmm. or a drug uh, breakthrough. Mm-hmm. I, but if you had to do it, then I would say that having your elementary kids who do not fall in that vulnerable category, having them come back to school for a limited amount of time um, with the mask, you know, with the social distancing, um, even if it's every day for a short amount of time, I think that would help many parents that you can spread those kids out over the entire uh, school, including the middle and high schools, if needed, depending on how your district is set up, you could do that. 
but you have to have protocols in place where you have blended learning going on for those families who um, whose kids aren't coming back uh, for whatever reason. Again, if they're in a vulnerable category, the parents just don't feel safe uh, sending their kids back, just don't feel comfortable. Um, so that is that is something that I don't hear enough people talking about and keeping that secondary level and universities home, continuing mm-hmm. the virtual. And then even if you did the virtual, bringing in those key groups, right? Giving that opportunity to bring kids in should their parents choose for more indirect instruction, um, like your SPED, like your ELL or your gifted kids or your math, whatever it might be. Having opportunities for, for them to come in at 10 at a time, that is an option. And CDC does support that as being an option. So you still can have those interactions um, with your kids, but that I don't hear enough people talking about about those two options. Um, because again, we're daycare. At the end of the day, uh, schools, again, no matter if you're public or private, are still largely considered um, daycare in a sense for kids and a safe place for kids to be so parents can go to work. That's really a hard truth. I know that's what you titled the topic, but it really is a hard truth that it's a solution and it's not an optimal solution, but it is the primary solution um, to an unthinkable problem. And while I say solution, there still aren't answers to many serious questions that are problematic, like a vaccine and drug therapy and keeping them safe. Mm-hmm. Um, something else that came to mind as you were talking is we have the population, excuse me, <coughs> we have the population um, of, of whether it's medical needs, high risk kids that just really cannot step into the building yet. Mm-hmm. So those students need to be taught in conjunction with whatever other learning environment districts choose to go with, let's say it's hybrid part-time or blended in class and at home. So the classroom teacher has to manage this blended, potentially blended learning environment and the learning needs of the child who cannot ever step foot in the building. Right. So you're kind of managing several different learning platforms. What advice do you have to the classroom teacher? Like globally, there are all these contingency plans in place, but I feel like we haven't gotten to the layer yet of instructional contingency plans Mm -hmm. for the classroom teacher. How are you to manage blended learning environment for this part of the class and at home learning for these students? What thoughts do you have? That's a great question, Tracy. So again, for those districts uh, that that feel they need to go back, uh, that they have to go back, they feel they need to go back and they're planning to go back in the fall, I think there's a couple of ways you can address the instructional pieces of that. First, you have to have the same LMS, learning management system. We mm-hmm. like to think in our, in our schools that we're very 21st century prepared and you know we're doing all these cool things. And a lot of, a lot of schools are, so many are, so many teachers are doing cool things. But when you talk about e-learning, the first thing you have to have is the same platform. So you can train and scale up your teachers on best practices and pedagogy around e-learning. So whether that's Schoology or Canvas or um, Blackboard, whatever it might be, Google Classroom, 
you need to have the mm-hmm. same one. And some are geared, I feel, more towards certain levels than others. Um, Absolutely. Classroom, I love and I think it's perfect for your K-8. Um, and I feel that Canvas or Schoology is, is better for your high school because it's more dynamic for the things that they're going to have to do so they can maintain their credits. But whichever it might be, even if it's a split like that, you all have to use the same platform. So that way you can uh, train your teachers on that and provide those instructional resources that are that have that digital component and you're teaching your teachers how to do that well so they can um, maintain that instructional momentum with their kids. The second thing that, that I think is a great idea to do is when you think about who is coming if you are doing some type of hybrid or blended model, whether it's the kids and the teachers who can come, who feel safe to come, whatever it might be, send out a survey and ask them. Ask your families. If we were to go back blended in the fall um, and whatever, whatever, whatever schedule that you decide, right, would you come or would you stay virtual? And same for the teachers. Would you come in person or would you be virtual, you know, for whatever that reason might be. Once you have that information, I think that you can still utilize your teachers that say that can't come in because they have, you know, other uh, issues that put them at risk. Have them teach the virtual kids. Have them teach the kids that can't come. And so then that classroom teacher that can come in uh, for that for that in-person learning, they can focus on the kids in front of them and they don't have to worry about gosh, now I got to get these 20 or 15 or even 10, five kids that aren't in person. So you can split it that way as well. So have your teachers that can't come in, let them be the virtual teachers for the kids that can't come in. You know, that would be such an ideal situation um, in in a difficult situation. But the question is, how many educational leaders will make that decision? And you said something that I have not heard be discussed in any of the discussions that I've seen is um, with with the thought of a survey, the possibility of a survey, uh, you said asking not only the parents, but the teachers, what's going on in your medical world? Can you come back? And I've not seen that anywhere. Um, I, I guess I feel like as an educator, there's this assumption that, oh, teachers, you're, go- you're going back. Right. Um, and, and so I think that that needs to be addressed and brought to the forefront a little bit more too, that we are so heavily focused on the children, but there's not a lot of conversation that I'm aware of that's going on with the teachers. It's, it's, I think it's all ultimately driven around let, let's get, let's get kids back in school so we can move on. Um, I I know that's the biggest part of it, but I just hope, I, I guess my point is I'm hopeful that, um, the teacher side of the fence is being addressed too in some of these conversations behind closed doors. And I would like to think that that is happening. Well, Tracy, and another factor to consider um, is that our teachers that have children, I mean, let's be honest, the majority of our teaching population from the research that is out there, you know, they are, they're in that, that family stage, right. Having families of their Mm -hmm. own. And so, um, a couple of districts, particularly in the Midwest that I work with, they are looking at, okay, if we are having teachers come back, like say we send the survey out and they can come back, maybe another question is, 
do you have childcare for your personal mm-hmm. kids? Um, because mm-hmm. how many teachers, and I know I, w- I did this, I might've worked in a district that my kids did not go to school in. You know, and so if I say, yes, I can come back, but hey, I have littles, right? Like I have elementary kids Mm -hmm. that can't be home. You know, if I'm working in a different district, even can I bring my Mm -hmm. kids? Is there going to be a space for my kids so I can, again, focus on the, the, my students in front of me and not have to worry about my own children? Right. You know, that's yet another example of, all of the different pieces to the puzzle. The decisions that have to be made are so expansive. And that's why I'm glad we're having this conversation because I know in my, I, I know that parents probably don't have that bird's eye view of how many pieces are in play in the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. And you nailed something because like the teacher who works in another district and their child is in their the district of their community where they live, well, what if that school is doing a completely different type of, or that district is doing a completely different type of format than the district the teacher works in? So that creates another challenge and another situation. Um, Absolutely, it does. Yeah, it's going to be challenging to mitigate all of this. So as we prepare to come to a close, what advice, I know you've given so much advice, but if you could just say a couple of powerful things to those either in the decision-making process or maybe even parents in the community and educators, what would you like to say to to the population of your choice? Yeah, I would say this to all educators, leaders, and parents who have kids in school, take a breath. Our kids are not fodder for this virus. And I know that it's very easy to be dismissive with states opening up and, and the way the human mind works, we try to forget the things that are, that are hard for us to understand or remember our experience. COVID-19 is a real thing. And It has affected many people, but if you haven't had a direct person to be very sick or die from it, you're going to lack the perspective that you need, I think, to take this seriously. So take a breath, understand this is a real thing, and our kids truly are our future now more than ever, and it's important we keep them safe. If you feel you have to go back, if you're getting that pressure, political pressure, to, uh, to start school again, Be very thoughtful of how you do it and involve your parents and community as well as your teachers and leaders on some type of task force so they can understand all of these different pieces that you're having to consider. Don't feel like you have to do this by yourself. Have a task force. I know it's more work. I know parents and teachers want answers right now, but take the time to involve them and let them see how complex and let your task force understand the research of best practice and come to some recommendations, a few recommendations that incorporate uh, a couple of plans. So when it is time in August or September, whenever your school, uh, your school year normally starts, you have a couple of plans in place that have been vetted, that have been fleshed out, and that hopefully you've gotten buy-in from your community and your staff around, uh, around getting back to school. That would be the that would be what I would implore upon 
um, our leaders and our communities to to think about um, because this is this is not going away just because we can go back into Target without a mask or you can go sit down and eat. COVID is still here. There is not there is not a vaccine. It is still here, and we can't forget that. Even when we have other world events right now that might be crowding out that topic, it is still still a huge issue for our schools. Personally, and because I've been asked this, Marlena, will you let your boys go back to school? Because my boys are in college. Um, my oldest son is at the Naval Academy. I don't have a choice of if he goes mm-hmm. back or not. But they have been very thoughtful, and they have pushed back the start of of their school um, a couple of times now. And uh, and kids are having to report now after the Fourth of July, and it's been pushed back a couple of weeks. Every time they get to that date, you know, they've pushed it back. Um, my youngest at Penn State, they're they're all virtual for the summer, same as the Naval Academy too. All of our universities mm-hmm. are, are virtual for the summer across our country. But, you know, they have they have made plans to come back in the fall, but they're contingency plans because it just depends because they know the more we learn about this virus, we know that if we get those kids back together, that they will get sick and it's impacted them in ways without warning. Um, whether it's yeah. having heart attacks or strokes, we know this is happening because it it has started already. So I don't have a choice over Daniel going back to the Naval Academy because he's part of the military. I do have a choice with Colin. And if we don't have that medical breakthrough, personally, I'm sorry, I, my world would end if something happened to any of my boys. And mm-hmm. Colin can learn remotely. It means I have to do some more chemistry and physics and bio and all those things, but so be it. You'll be co-physicist. I'll be co-physicist. Yes, that's been very, very fun. Well, Marlena, uh, thank you so much. And let's let's do our best, listeners, to really, really share this conversation out, especially that last part that Marlena shared. It's so important to involve stakeholders in the decision-making process. So I hope you can see and understand that some of these some of these things are happening globally from the CDC down to the states or provinces uh, down to the district boards and then to the principals and then to the schools and classrooms so once the decisions make it down to the administrator the principal level and the school then the principal has um, a responsibility to involve its stakeholders. And that's the task force that Marlena was mentioning. But I just wanted you to kind of understand from a bigger picture at what point that comes into play. But that is key and and it's critical for the success of any type of learning environment to um, go as smoothly as possible. There has to be not just buy-in, but support and ownership for this to happen. So Marlena, thank you so much for taking time to talk about such a critical topic. Um, So we've covered last week, equity is still a thing. Today, we really got into the meat and heart of schools are still considered daycare. And we have three more topics to cover. Being teachers is not as easy as parents thought. Educators deserve more pay and respect. Testing isn't the answer. Marlena, I cannot wait to connect with you on these topics. <laughs> Thank you, Tracy, so much. And and just a shout out to anyone that's listening. If your district or school 
is having um, or want to learn more about how how you can create some processes and protocols and getting that stakeholder feedback and these different considerations, please reach out uh, to me and my team. We will be happy to help set up those uh, protocols, walk you through those that fit your district as you're considering this impossible task. So Marlena, let's let our listeners know how to reach out to you and your team. Can you tell us that? Absolutely. You can reach me on social media, of course, uh, whether it's through Edge of Gladiators, that's our handle on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can reach out to me as well personally um, under M Gross Taylor on Twitter, um, MG Taylor28 on Instagram, or just simply go to um, go to Facebook and just type in Marlena Gross Taylor, um, or just go to my website as well, MarlenaTaylor.com. However, we need to connect. I don't want any person out there that's listening to struggle with this and think like they are in this by themselves because it's not. The way we get through this is together. Just like the way we get through how we reopen, it needs to be together with our surrounding districts, all coming up with a plan that takes into account all of these different aspects that we discussed today. Absolutely. So you have multiple ways to connect with Marlena. And if you don't have questions, but you feel like your organization, your educational organization is really hitting the target of this transition back to school, share that with us on social media, tag us so that we can have listeners um, gain some best practices from you. So have questions, need some support, by all means, reach out to Marlena. But if you feel like you're rocking it and you want to celebrate and share that so that other administrators and districts and organizations can learn some best practices, tag us. Let, let's get the word out. So friends, this is all the time we have for now. So we'd like to thank you for joining us at Intelligogy, the podcast, where together we are disrupting educational normalcy. Thank you for joining us at Monday Matters. Until next time.